Welcome to the Bitcoin Consciousness Podcast. Today we start a new series called the Sovereign Soul Series, where I will be talking with two friends, Matt and Caleb, who also are very interested in the topics of Bitcoin, higher consciousness and community. Before we jump into that conversation, I would just like to announce that uh, a new course is coming up starting November 19th called Exit Fiat. It is a intensive course over five weeks for people who would like to live a life more aligned with your true self. So in the fiat world or the fiat consciousness it's everything is based on fear so all actions are basically from fear and when we figure this out we want to step into love and how can i live with love from love give love this is what i call here the bitcoin consciousness so the transition then to live from love can be a bit tricky and that's why we come together in a group where everyone have the same focus and since this is something I have done myself I have exercises that we can do and work in smaller groups and we have the individual sessions to really go deep into finding what's blocking you at that time from taking the steps to move into this higher consciousness life okay but let's go into the conversation now with matt and caleb you're sort of describing it as like an energetic fate um so it doesn't really matter it's not necessarily like oh you're fated to be extremely poor or you're fated to be extremely successful you're fated to get married or something like that it's more so here's the energy that you're bringing into the matrix or maybe these are the circumstances you're born into and the energies that are being held in your dna you know that's kind of the contract that you set up and and that will manifest in however it's going to manifest until you're willing to address it it's just going to keep happening and it doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual practice such as meditation or something like this but it's about observing the behavior and accepting it with love and allow it to be so that it can run its course and then that frees up energy for your continued evolution into other things yeah like if you take that idea to the fullest it's like like your whole life is a giant synchronicity there's no moment where you're not exactly where your energy is bringing you towards right it's all the time you're always creating your reality there's no point where that stops yeah like synchronicity like why do some events pop up that we call synchronous when everything is always synchronous and it's like well because there's something about that particular interaction that was tagged with one of the bigger lessons we came here to move through it's sort of like those are a little bit more obvious yeah like something that's really big you know those are quickly and easily labeled as 
synchronous behaviors, but then there are little things that we don't realize. Like sometimes I'll talk to people who, who are accustomed to fighting, like physically getting into fights, whether it's a bar fight or something like this. And I myself, I've never been in a physical fight. I'm fortunate enough, but there are some people who, you know, they have this propensity to attract other people in situations where they get into like physical altercations with each other. They get hurt by other people, people, other people hurt them. And they don't realize that that is a synchronicity, you know, it's because it's like all of these little events that are spread out, but it's, it's not like one big thing, but you're right. It goes into pretty much everything that we do is a, is a synchronicity. It's just a matter of seeing those patterns. For me, it's quite amazing how when we come on a spiritual path and we get a awareness of our identification function, that we can sit and just see things, feel things, hear things for hours and hours without identifying with them. And then it's like, so what's the point then? Or when should I identify with something? And when should I just let it go? And the answer is from my own experience that we should let everything go and not identify with anything. And somehow this process happens where it's this shift. What we have inside our energy body is changing from low frequency content to high frequency content. So when we sit and speak in conversations like this, the associations we get, it's like I get sort of memories and flashes from different visions that I already let go of, you know, because if we are not operating in a rational way, we can't really control our concepts and beliefs because we are constantly surrendering them. It's no container for us to sort of organize our beliefs and have a set of beliefs about anything in the Bitcoin consciousness. And how do we live there without a container where everything just goes and goes? And it's like our whole energy body becomes like a container and the frequencies we hold, frequencies we contain is who we are. And when we are in a conversation like this, it's like in the past, my traumas or bad memories maybe will be triggered but now in this case it's like my my visions and my ideas that i've thought about is triggering instead so it seems to me it's like a similar function of being triggered but what is being triggered instead of blocked frustration from a previous experience that I didn't resolve and not all that I will get irritated of something you say or something you remind me of. So when we update all of those and we let go of all of those, then we are triggered in a kind of positive way instead. And so when we listen to someone speak, it's like you get visions, you get memories, and you get all sorts of things. The other day we talked about the bitcoin blockchain and forks of it when someone tries to create a copy of bitcoin and then create their own version and nobody have really succeeded to build momentum with their fork so far some have tried but it's like the main bitcoin community is always confirming the original bitcoin because it stands for truth transparency decentralization 
and so on. And if we look at society, it's been an opposite thing happening there because society has been moving towards centralization thousands of years. And sometimes people have tried to fork this, like Buddha, Jesus. They try to create a fork in society or in human consciousness where people would adopt a different way of being, a more heart-centered way. And that didn't work also. Those didn't work because every fork that they created became a centralized institution again and again and again. So Bitcoin is sort of the latest attempt to create a fork of humanity based in decentralization rather than centralization. So if we look in the world of crypto where Bitcoin is the king and it's, it works because it's based in truth. And then we look at the society where everything has been corrupted and gone towards centralization rather than decentralization. And now these two forces meet on the world stage. And we as humans are able to jump on to this Bitcoin decentralized system in how we interact with ourselves and others. So Bitcoin is giving us this blueprint of a decentralized system. And we as humans can see this and understand that we can build a similar system with each other if we start to go within. So decentralization among humans needs to be without a leader. And everyone needs to awaken to their inner strength and their inner value for it to work. Sama, you drew parallels between people in the past trying to fork society. So Jesus and Buddha, as, as your examples, it's a hard fork. It's a new chain altogether. Why is it that even though that these spiritual hard forks were proposed by these people, and this has happened many times throughout history, it seems like we always prefer to jump off. Society tends to move back into centralization, even though there's like this clear truth. There's this clear, hey, this is a better way to go. But why is it that our civilization continues to make this mistake? It seems to me there's two different kinds of flow, fear flow. And that means not standing up for ourselves, taking the easy way out, just following the crowd and fitting in, sometimes symbolized with a blue pill. And then we have the flow that the people in spiritual circles talk about, the flow state, which is more difficult to attain and more difficult to keep alive because it moves through the fears it's going against the fears so it's sort of unintuitive in a way because you feel a fear then the easy flow is to follow that fear and the hard flow is to move through that fear to see it for what it is and do it anyway so it's a good question and that you ask, and why haven't we been able to switch to the true and deeper flow? And why have we been weak and weakened? And why haven't we been able to stand up and be true to ourselves throughout history? It was um, Dan you had on. He was talking about on a different podcast how a debt-based interest-bearing credit system requires people to work harder and harder to stay in the same place. Also sort of that the less time you have for yourself, the sort of more intense the stimulation you will want. 
in modern societies, it's like people are constantly, constantly stimulating themselves externally. And it, it needs to be more and more intense to, to satisfy them because they don't have any time to sit with themselves in the first place. So in the context of Bitcoin, we sort of hope that there's going to be more of a low time preference. And so we're not always on this hamster wheel. And so we have more time to rest in our own experience. And from that place, we can, like let's just say, people spend more time meditating. And that helps them not act on traumas. And they, they're able to work through that more. So it's like, even though someone like Buddha or Christ showed that it's possible to act entirely from the heart and not on traumas and old models, the system around it that the people found themselves in wasn't organized in such a way that they would have the time to relax and go into that state. So the difference with Bitcoin is that it's sort of like this external change to the outer world to assist in the development of people's inner world. And from there, they can sort of rest more in that the Christ consciousness or whatever we like to call it. Yeah, your your idea, your concept there about the less time that we have for ourselves, it's sort of like the more we seek out increasingly intense substitutes. I kind of wonder what that is. Is it humans, we crave satisfaction, we crave that dopamine rush? I mean, there's something inside of our biological robots that are driving us to want more. And uh, Sama might be able to sort of like describe this a bit better than me. I don't know if it's the fear programming that's kind of driving us to be just perpetually unsatisfied. And then when we do try to artificially satisfy ourselves, it it never works. And it's like this hamster wheel. We build this momentum where we continue to make ourselves busier and falsely satisfy ourselves more and more. I'm wondering if this need for false satisfaction is in any way connected to the need for spiritual satisfaction and spiritual growth, or if they're completely different systems well if we look at how the human race functions and how we through evolution have evolved one of the really tricky things to solve have been this accumulation of low frequency programs from generation to generation Mm -hmm. so if we say the first generation or the first humans, they didn't have any technologies, so they had to survive. And they passed that information on to their next generation. So if you see that going from generation to generation, if we continually inherit low frequency programs from our parents, scarcity programs, lack programs, are not good enough because they're chasing this survival. And if you think of these last few hundred years when we had a lot of innovation, we could maybe have invented things to make us abundant as a civilization with the help of technology. But because we have these old programs from so many generations back, we are stuck in this old programming and we don't have the good tools to heal ourselves so maybe this is the first time in history that we actually have the ability to heal ourselves and we have the technology and the inventions 
to actually create abundance on the planet. And it's been this gap of becoming more and more advanced, but still inherit all this bad programming. So even if abundance is possible, we don't believe it's possible because of our programming. So we're sort of stuck in these old programs and we keep on playing that out because we create our own reality. So if you see the technological breakthroughs mixed with people continually projecting a scarcity reality on top of it, then that's sort of where we are in the world today. We have the possibilities, but we can't get it done. And we can't get it done because people have all this bad programming inside of them. And because they have all this bad programming, they are constantly busy trying to survive in a world where they don't even have to survive anymore. But according to their programs, they have to survive. So they're stuck in this loop. So they cannot calm down. They cannot start rewinding their programming and clean up. And maybe this is where Bitcoin can really come in and give that external blueprint and example and to create value outside for humans to be able to calm down and just relax. And if they just relax, the old programs will start to fall off if they don't continually reactivate them. So it can work like that being able to see some new possibilities and believe in that, calming down, healing from within, and then living in the real reality rather than the projected reality. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I think Bitcoin is is really a glitch in the matrix in that way because it it really glitches out our fear programming. You know, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter how much craziness is happening, if you have a Bitcoin, it's still a Bitcoin and you know that it's going to be one of 21 million. And, you know, it's really that simple. You know, we're talking specifically about fear programming around money. There's all sorts of fear, fear programming, but really money is kind of the culmination of all these different fears. Am I going to be able to eat? Am I going to have a roof over my head? But then it begins expanding out into so many other things. Am I going to be socially accepted because I have enough money or do I have the nice car? Do I have the nice clothes? Do I have this, 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 and this, that money buys me? You know, it really branches into like a million million different things, but Bitcoin breaks all of that. And Sama, you, one of your very first articles on Bitcoin does have this. You wrote in that article at some point, I mean, you'll feel like you have enough or you will begin to feel like, yeah, this is, I've got more, I've got more than enough here. But when it comes to the fiat consciousness, that need is, is never satisfied. So Bitcoin does this beautiful reframe by taking the excitement around, oh, I could be rich in fiat terms and I could have all of these things because I could buy this new asset class that nobody really knows about or understands. And it goes up hundreds of times every four years or that's really exciting. It brings you in at this like fiat level, but then it, it's like, oh, actually, you know what? I don't need to subscribe to this fear programming anymore. So it's like we need these really intense false dopamine rushes of satisfaction. And you kind of get that with Bitcoin because, oh, this is an investment. I'm going to get rich. And then at a certain point, by owning it, by taking part of the self-sovereignty and the individual responsibility that this network represents and provides to our to our species, it's like, wow, this is a lot different than what I came here for initially. Yeah. And that sort of brings up 
the idea of a uh, Hegelian the antithesis and then the synthesis because I was kind of thinking it's like but Bitcoin is birthed out of this ultimately out of all of these lower energetic traumas and living so deeply in the mind we probably look at a bigger cosmic consciousness scale here it's like we needed to move that process needed to happen this like movement into this ugly sort of mind-based separation that had to build and build and build in order for bitcoin to be birthed out of that it needed to grind up against like that consciousness resulting out of the fiat patterns needed to grind up against this intuition that we have that oh there could be something the synthesis is like coming to bitcoin now and it's something about this tension that needs to happen we need to go to the fullest end of fiat of and of that consciousness that it generated in order to like pull everything we possibly can out of it which is finding this platonic money form in a physical existence we somehow went so deep into the physical that you find something platonic at the bottom of it and now it's like bringing that up the visions i got when you talked about that was reference points that humanity needed reference points for what not to do if we would just come here get all the technology it might be a little bit fake and superficial so what we have done is it that we have explored different avenues of possibilities in the process we got lost in it it seems and we have been maybe we have been overdoing it in some areas it's difficult to learn from the mistakes but if we can move on from here and come into a more decentralized world of abundance then we have this array of lessons to look back on if we can separate ourselves from those impulses and not do them again and again and again but just see them okay this is what we did and that's what happened and be able to use the experiences to create a better world rather than recreating the old bad world all the time but it needs to be a shift in consciousness for that to happen and that has been the missing piece so as long as humans identify with their impulses without a chance of observing the impulses, this gap between the impulses and their actions, that's a low consciousness state. So as long as it's this low consciousness, people just keep on doing the impulses, even if they know it has bad consequences. So shifting into higher consciousness, we can use all those experiences as reference points to create something new, something better. Like we learned what not to do, now let's try something else. I've been trying to arrange my thoughts because I had some some things that you sort of brought up when when you were just talking. And up to this point in humanity's experience, it's kind of like we're always trading something off. It's always like you make a decision, you sacrifice one thing in order to attain another. And maybe the key there is this word sacrifice, because sacrifice implies scarcity. It implies that 
you have to give something up in order to attain something else. But the truth is, is that everything is abundant, that there are unlimited potentials. As long as, long as we kind of view this world in a, in a very binary way, I have to take this forceful action in my life at the detriment of something else. You know, so long as we continue to live that way, we're going to be living through force and we're going to be, the only thing really we're sacrificing is our true self at that point. Yeah, that gets into how in all of our sort of mythologies, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or whatever, there's these unseen belief structures within the stories that get imprinted onto us. And then we filter the world through those installed beliefs and and those become our filters. So it's like not only we have all our individual stuff but then it's like embedded in the very symbols around us in the songs we sing in the books it's like there's programs on how to interpret and transform your own experience like it's like an instruction manual on how to filter your experiences they get embedded into your subconscious like the distinction between good and evil for example it's like if you hold a particular story about what those two things are then you go out in the world and you experience the world through those lenses and it transforms your experience in a particular way and now it's like i think actually um salma you're saying you're triggered it's no longer you're triggering your traumas, but you're triggering these kind of visions and symbols. Those are the symbols that have been embedded in all of our stories. Like you're now, they're coming now to the surface of your conscious mind and you're navigating them in real time. Yeah, we go into deeper and deeper levels and trying to dispel deeper and deeper patterns, individual patterns and humanity's patterns, like you're talking about. Assumptions, basically. Mm -hmm. Because like someone like Peterson or Jung talks about archetypes. And it's like those archetypes don't remain still all the time, but they're always in the process of transformation themselves. And now it's like the awareness is expanding. You're becoming more conscious and so you're actually tuning into the transformation of those archetypal structures as they grow and evolve whereas before those were sort of unconscious and holding your consciousness in a particular routing pattern yeah it's interesting it's like like humanity's filters so it means that you both of you and everyone else have the same filters i mean then of course we have our own individual filters but some of the filters are really global or race related Mm -hmm. and it's interesting how you say that we sort of interact with them and how if they are fluid because okay if i pick one layer i know and then it maybe it's five thousand other people that are sort of interacting with that layer at the same time. 
around the world. Maybe they have a conversation and maybe it triggered this layer, for example. And so similar, like I heal my own patterns and traumas inside me. Then when I interact with this filter, my automatic self-healing mechanism sets in and sort of questions it, explores it, feel how it's feeling, how it's impacting me, how it's impacting the conversation. And maybe I can contribute a small part to healing that filter for the whole of humanity. Is this what you mean? I wasn't thinking about the healing aspect of it, but I think you're right about that. Yeah, because you're you're aware of it and you're letting it move through you consciously and you're feeling it. And then that energy is being transformed into something different. And that's how we then can raise the consciousness of the whole planet. Because if we interact here, for example, with the filter and we're able to dismantle it to some extent and then thousands of others in the coming days will interact with it and transform it, heal it. Because in a way you could say it's, it comes from humanity's trauma. All those filters and assumptions are sort of coming from pain, right? It's not like there is artificial filters set there. It's a product of humanity's experiences. So if it's collective pain contributing to collective assumptions expressed in religious teachings and expressed in governments, how we run things. Like all the centralization, for example, is actually a, a pattern, right? It's sort of a survival pattern on a humanity level. So if we are able to heal this within ourselves and we are able to help humanity heal its control needs, control patterns, then if we keep on doing this, the world would change inside out. And this is what I believe. This is like a belief or whatever that I've had for many years, but I never talked about it in this much detail. I find it very interesting. Yeah, I think it's such an exciting time to be alive because we've we've been living with this programming for thousands and thousands of years. And it seems like at some point something something tipped. And I don't know, it really doesn't matter. You know, I part of me is like, gosh, what what tipped it? Like why why is this happening now? the age of Aquarius, you know, and uh, it doesn't matter, but it's like, it's just amazing to be, to be a part of. So if we look at our own self-healing journey, we have childhood things, but the childhood things depends on the patterns we get from our parents, from our DNA and these things anyway. That's why we get them in the first place, right? But we can see the childhood things as a separate thing because it's easier to remember and we can relate to the experiences. We can relate to the feelings because we get sort of memories from this life. And then 
going deeper, we have the bloodlines. So all programs that we got directly or indirectly from our parents. And what I mean with this is we can get it directly through the DNA, like hair color, skin color, and so on, and how our body is shaped. And we get it from our parents because they sort of push their fears on us when we are young. So we can dig into those. And in that period, we can have intense feelings and we can't relate to where it comes from. I know, Caleb, you've been working through this lately. It's similar to childhood, but you don't have those reference points where you sort of remember where it comes from. Instead, you have to sort of do research on your family almost and see like where your parents were, your grandparents, grandparents, and so on to understand how we can have such intense feelings out of the blue. And then we have the humanities patterns influencing us and every group that we create or that we are a member of every group has their own essence and it also has its own karma then cause and effect because every group every political party or whatever has taken actions in the past that has resulted in consequences and if they have not been dealt with then Someone needs to look at them also. And this goes for each country. And every time it's like a group, somehow, it becomes like one entity. And it starts sort of accumulating karma, good or bad karma. With karma, I mean just cause and effect. It creates like a shadow if it do negative things, if it acts in fear. So those are some of the earthly departments then can that can influence our life and that we sort of need to be aware of and understand as we go deeper into ourselves you know for me the idea of karmic energy is almost kind of a scary one because it's like man if i take this action what could it be creating for me karmically could this be bad you know i don't it's it's almost like it it kind of freezes me. Yeah, I think when we start to clean up more and more and come to a higher consciousness, then we can easier see. Like when our reference point is to be centered, then it's easier to see when we are off-center. If we are most of the time off-center, then, then it's difficult to see. So then you can talk maybe about instant karma and from my experience, this is how I understand my patterns. So if I have an impulse, so basically we have impulses and they can either be things we should detox and let go of, or it's ideas moving us into the future and moving us into new possibilities, right? So we have these two inputs, crap and dreams and visions. But sometimes it's difficult to know which is which. So we have crap coming up and maybe we are so used to it uh, that it feels good because otherwise the new visions for the future feels good. It's sort of like the heart can jump up a little bit and like, yes, let's do it. And But sometimes the old patterns feel similar because they're like, maybe we haven't done it for years and then it comes up and it's, it feels familiar. 
so it feels good, right? Those are the times where if you then do it, you observe what happens. So whatever actions you do, you feel it, you observe how it's received in the creation. And if the feedback is positive, then you know that it's the right path and it was the correct direction. But if it has a negative consequence, then you understand it's an old pattern. So we can use the reality like that when we're not sure if, if it's a positive or negative impulse. So in that way, you can see everything as if you do anything from fear, you're creating negative consequences for yourself over and over and over again. And it's no value behind that. It's like you create that reality and you do that until you understand that it hurts you. So it's this learning environment. Uh, I guess the trick is just to become rationally aware or to raise our consciousness so the rational mind starts working better. So we're able to see the, the results of our actions. And when we do that, it's, it's much easier to know what to do and what not to do. You can say that it's the same for eating. So you eat something and then you see your body, how it reacts to it. And then you know if you should eat it again or not. And actions works the same way. And this will go so far as not, it, it's not always a, like an external reaction, correct? As in, you know, I, I make an action and then I, then something happens, like I stub my toe or something like that. It's not, it's not always going to be some sort of, external karmic energy coming around but it it could also be just an internal thread so it's like you know i follow this old program let's say just as an example like i just have to check my email right now i have to check my email i check it all the time you know i i've got to make sure that i don't have messages from somebody you know it's a point of anxiety for a lot of people and then you do that you take that action and there could be an internal reaction and that could be a sense of sadness or depression but it could also thread into a bunch of other things like oh i took this action based out of fear by checking my emails and then i saw something i saw an email maybe with some information that i didn't want to see and then that in turn i carried that energy with me into you know, my conversation with my coworker, or I took it home with me after work. And then my evening was all, was all off because I'm carrying this energy that was based off an action taken from fear. Is this sort of accurate in your perspective? Yeah, it's uh, like positive actions make you feel good. And then that good feeling leads to other good things happening. And because when you have a strong energy body, you have a high frequency, then everything flows. So when you are in a lower frequency, it's more resistance. So when you start seeing the patterns, what made you go downwards? And then maybe you have to go quite far down until you notice. And then, okay, now I'm down and I can't come up. Where did I go wrong? Like, what decision along the way was it that 
that made me come here. And then on the other side is when you feel uplifted or you feel, you know, one with the universe, you know that you walked in a good direction. Yeah, so like you said, it's the mood, basically how you feel about life. If you feel fearful about life and that life is heavy, of course, it can be detox because detox is old patterns coming up. And if you act on them, you will go down to this lower state. So if you have this detox coming, we just need to sit with it and let it pass and then move on. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think there's an important distinction there too, because if you trace back that decision, if it happened, you know, if the end of your day has ended in a terrible mood and things have not gone well and you, and you're able to trace back and find the original kind of fear thread that you chose to take, it doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, from now on, if we go back to my previous example, from now on, I'm never going to check my email. It's not that. It's more so understanding and feeling what it actually was because there's a difference between feeling and letting it heal and creating another program to avoid something happening again. This is sort of like the path that a lot of the self-improvement, self-help kind of gurus and stuff take is that you sort of add these programs on top of your already existing behaviors. Like if one of your behaviors is that you overeat and you're trying to improve yourself, the self-help version or the self-help kind of guru would tell you, okay, that's bad. You have to label that behavior as bad. And because you believe that this is a bad behavior, then you will not eat so much. Whereas instead, the way to truly approach that behavior is to sit with those feelings, sit with those programs and let them heal. So instead of it being a thing of judgment or guilt, I shouldn't be eating like this. This is not helping, helping me to become a better person. It is, I just don't, I don't have that programming any. I don't, I don't feel driven to overeat. I don't feel driven to put food into my body at this moment. I don't know. I want to say that it is a subtle difference, but it, it's not at the same time. It's like, it's letting go of those things versus plastering over them with a different program. Yeah. Maybe it's rather than it being um, like checking your mail, it can be different things. It's more the impulse behind it. You know, checking your mail could come from that you feel you don't have enough money and you feel you need to work, you need to work. And one day it could be checking your mail. Another day it could be having to phone someone. So rather than looking at the specific action to see like where they come from. And, and that's when we get to know our underlying patterns, like which direction am I trying to go all the time and see the pattern that oh, every day I try to go in this day, way. Then that's like a bigger pattern coming up usually in layers and in different shapes and forms. <laughs>